Everyone has an idea, but is it right? Everyone seems to know what a Christian is, how the Christian life should look, and what kind of place the church should be. But are we even close? What if we could know? What if it looks different than we think? What if what God is building is more than a group of good people, but a community? Join us as we walk through the book of Philippians and see together a beautiful community. Kids ages 3 to pre-K can head down to Holy Cross Kids Worship. The rest of you I'd invite to grab a Bible and turn it to the book of Philippians. And I don't know whether this will be good news to you or not, but this will be the last week in which we will be visiting Oz during church. Um, Grace is putting on their show this weekend, so uh, this coming weekend, so I mean, there might be some stuff lingering around, but uh, this will be the last week of the forest and the sign and these things, Um, in case you were wondering what's going on here. It's just a church of a different color today. Um, So anyway, uh, if you're in, we're we're in Philippians this morning, uh, as we've been looking at over the last uh, several months, the question of what it is that makes a Christian community, what is it that makes the church? And we've been looking at that through multiple views, right? Several weeks ago, uh, we looked at the 30,000 foot view and saying that it looks like uh, a, a word called cruciformity, making our, having our lives be shaped to look like the death of Jesus, not in the sense of like we're just going to walk around like this all day long, but that um, we, our lives look like those that are giving over all that we have, everything that's up, that, that we, all of our pride, all of our preferences, our prerogatives, our, our power, like everything we have to see other people flourish. And then uh, we looked at it in, in, in the terms of like the three-foot view, talking about forgetting what's behind and pressing on towards the goal that Jesus has rescued us for. And this morning we're going to take a look at another vital aspect of what it means to be the church, a group called by Jesus together to be his body. And that, that's unity. Unity. problem is Christians don't get along very well, do we? I mean, there's a story, and I, I think it... It might be legend, but you know, a lot of legends have their some basis in truth. That at the fourth century Council of Nicaea, there was Saint Nicholas, yes, that Saint Nicholas, like punked a dude in the face. A guy who was by the name of Arius, he punched him in the face because he was teaching heresy at the church council. Like Santa Claus, right? <laughs> like, and that's like boom. So uh, Christians, we don't we don't do uh, unity really well. Like, it might not be that crazy today, but the fact that this country alone has over 200 denominations shows that we do not play well with others. Yet here, in this passage, Paul, the apostle, the writer of Philippians, takes time out to deal with this issue in the life of two people in the entire church. Let's see why. So if you have your place in Philippians chapter 4, our, our habit here is to stand. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'm just going to be reading two verses real quick this morning. Philippians 4, 2 through 3. Text is up there if you don't have a Bible with you. This is God's word. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is God's word given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Lord, over this time, we just ask your blessing. Uh, We need you. We need you to speak to our hearts. 
We need you to do mighty things in the name of Jesus this morning. Because uh, helpful ideas from Rick are not going to help anybody. And so we need the power of the Spirit at work in the preaching of the gospel to change lives. Because, Lord, we do know that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would let that come out clearly. That you would open our hearts to it. So we need ears to hear you and eyes to see you and hearts to receive you this morning. Holy Spirit, you alone can do this in us, so we pray that you would. We pray that you would use all of this time for your glory, both in this place and throughout the city. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So my guess is that most of us can remember this, but maybe some of us can't. You can YouTube it later. Do you remember the, the months and the weeks and the months after 9-11? Right? Again, some of us do, some of us don't, uh, because we weren't around then. Uh, but most of us probably do. Like I said, if you're too young, YouTube it. The point is this. There was an insane amount of solidarity in our country during that time. Do you remember that? Like, it's almost as if every, and I know, look, we're in an election cycle, and no one wants to admit that this was the case. But, like, everyone agreed right after that. Like, everyone was in agreement. There was, like, nobody fighting different things. All of a sudden, it didn't matter whether you were, like, well, I mean, do you remember in September of 2011, it was less than a year previous that we were all arguing about hanging chads. You remember that? And then now, like, it, it's, it, all of a sudden, it didn't matter whether you were a Democrat or Republican, white or black, Coke or Pepsi. Like, it didn't matter. We were all on the same page. It was a great example for us of what unity is, even though it didn't last. And it was great because all of those other distinctions I just talked about, especially the Coke and Pepsi thing, they were all just marginalized, right? They were all marginalized. It wasn't that they went away. They were just marginalized. Crisis has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Crisis has a way of kind of moving aside other things. But what, what we see in this passage is that uh, what Paul is talking about here in this passage is all about coming together. It's all about Christian unity. Not unity in general. Christian unity. And Paul seems to think it's a pretty big deal. Because he wrote this letter to a church so far, he's been talking about stuff that's just kind of universal. All of a sudden, he's calling two people out by name. So obviously, he thinks this is a pretty big deal. The Bible thinks Christian unity is a pretty big deal. So we're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about uh, what unity is. Whose job is it? And how do we get it? Right? What unity is, whose job is it, and how we get it? There's an outline in your bulletin. You can follow along in that. But what we're going to see is this. Okay? What we're going to see is this phrase. That Christian unity is coming together by laying down what is also true because of what is most true. Christian unity is about laying down, not ignoring, laying down what is also true because of what is most true. Okay? So that's what we're going to be looking at. First, let's look at what it is. Two things about that. Again, I'm speaking about Christian unity, which means that if you're a non-Christian here this morning, you, this is the, one of the best mornings for you to be in church because you can completely disregard everything I'm about to say. It's great, okay? So this is about Christian unity. If you're interested in what makes Christian unity different, then stay checked in. I'd love for you to stay checked in. You can listen in, and at the end of the day, you can still say, eh, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Because I'm not talking about unity in general. I'm talking about Christian unity. And so secondly, so that's our first thing. Secondly, we need to talk about what unity is not. 
Because I say unity, and we all have these general ideas. So let me talk about what unity is not, first and foremost. Okay? First, Christian unity is not uniformity. Right? It's not uniformity. Uniformity is that idea that, um, that we're all the same. Believe exactly the same. We are all the same. Frankly, uniformity is impossible. I don't know if you knew this, but like people are kind of like fingerprints. Every one of them is unique. We have different stories. We have different backgrounds. We have different, even, even if we all agree, we have different passions to which we agree on those things, right? So uniformity as, as a principle is just simply impossible. Uh, there may be levels of uniformity, but, but if, if uniformity is your ideal, if uniformity is what you think unity is, it's my bet that one of these other three things is probably happening and not that, Okay? So the second thing that, uniform, that unity, unity is not is that it's also not politeness. You know what I mean by that, right? Politeness is where you're chummy face-to-face and you bite people's backs as soon as they turn around. Politeness is that primarily southern ideal that we are, we're going to be friendly and saccharine sweet to one another's faces, but as soon as someone leaves the room... We will assassinate their character, right? It's politeness. It looks maybe like unity when everyone's in the same room together, but it's not unity. Secretly, it is either being opposed to someone or indifferent. It's not unity. Unity is also not relativism. Okay? Unity is not relativism. And this, of course, is the notion that everyone is equally right, which would seem to be a great way to have unity, right? If I'm right and you're right, we're all right, then... We don't have to argue about anything. But frankly, relativism does the opposite of unity. Unity is about everyone coming together, being together. Relativism says that we are all almost completely isolated, and you don't matter to me because only me matters to me. I don't have to really engage with you. I don't have to enter into dialogue with you because you can do what you want. I'm indifferent to it because it never challenges, never touches, never presses against me. It's the autonomy of the self. And it is everywhere. Unity isn't thinking that everyone is equally right. Frankly, that is just silly. If you need to talk about that with me later, we can. It's just silly. Okay. Um, lastly, it's not uniformity. It's not politeness. It's not uh, relativism. It's also not avoidance. Okay. Avoidance is the practice of pretending that what's different about us isn't different. That's what happened after 9-11. We're just all going to pretend that this isn't actually the case. Because something bigger is here. We pretended for a while that what was different wasn't. That we were all the same. Even Bono, right? Remember the Super Bowl? And he's like singing, he pulled it in his like American flag. And you're like, dude, you're Irish. You're not American. I don't care if you have the flag. You can pretend all you want. You're really not, right? So we, we all, and it was great. And I cried. Y'all probably cried too. Like, Bono, thank you. Not true, right? Not true. We had really different ideas about stuff. Those ide- the different ideas didn't cease because of the tragedy of that day. We had different value systems. So once the crisis was over, we couldn't keep avoiding those things, and we became fractured again. Avoidance is at best a temporary solution. Until whatever causes to avoid in the first place goes away. 
Christian unity is different than all these things. So if, if that's what you thought unity is, if, one, if it was one of those things, you're like, well, what, what else could there be? Then I'm glad you're here because we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to assure you that something better is offered in God's word this morning. And that is because, like I said, Christian unity is about coming together by laying down what is also true in light of what is most true. Okay? So let's look at this. Look at down at verse 2. Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Okay? Now let me break this down really quick. Let me state the obvious. If you're like, what is he talking about? Who are these people? What, what's going on? You're not alone. No one knows. Nobody knows. Here's what we know. Those are two feminine names. So they're both women. Paul holds them in enough esteem to call them his fellow workers in the gospel, right? So all that stuff about Paul being a misogynist, you can just swipe that aside because he loves these two people. These two women are, he, he, he loves them and he calls them like, they're my fellow workers. Um, but we know nothing about what is going on here. No one has a clue what prompted this. What we know is that Paul is writing a corporate letter to a church, and in it, whatever's going on is important enough, whether they are in some form of leadership or whatever, this is important enough that he's going to call these two people out in public, because this would have been read to the whole church, he's going to call them out in public and ask them to agree in the Lord. And so if you're willing to publicly name people, this has got to be more than two people who just have a hard time getting along, right? There are people in this church that you don't get along with. It's a little more than that. It's a little more than like, they're probably not the people I'm going to invite to my birthday party, right? Yodia's like, yeah, I can't really go have wine with Syntyche. I don't, I don't yeah. but that's not what he's talking about, something bigger than that. Paul's been dealing with big issues, and he continues to do so. So this is probably something major. Next thing I want to talk about is that word entreat. Do you notice he says it twice? We'll get to why about that in a second, but, but that word can be translated um, entreat, which sounds really cool, but also uh, exhort or even call, it means that he's, he's calling them to do something. He's, he's not just kind of like asking for a personal favor. He's using his, his kind of authority as an apostle to say, like, this is a big enough deal that this needs to happen. Not, do me a favor, get along, ladies. Like, do me a favor. No, this needs to happen. This is a big deal. This is an issue that is important enough for Paul to give it apostolic attention. The critical phrase in this is that one that, ag- that happens right at the end. That he's entreating them to agree in the Lord. Now, when I say that, uh, if you've been here for a while, if you've been here through Philippians, you'll, you might remember, maybe not, but you might remember in Philippians 2 when he talks about, when he gets ready to talk about that big hymn to Jesus. Right? He's talking about um, who, who being in the very nature of God didn't see it as something to be grasped and used for himself, but gave himself up. Like before that, he says, if there's anyone, it, he, he calls us to be of the same mind. It's the exact same phrase. It's the exact same phrase. Now, uh, you may be thinking, okay, that sounds like uniformity to me. Isn't he telling them, think the same things? No, that's not what it means. To be of the same mind is not like you agree to the same things. It's more like, I got a mind to come back there. You know, like if you heard mom or dad say that, you would be like, it's not that they have a thought in their head, it's they have an aim. And you don't want anything to do with that aim, right? So this is what he's talking about. To have a mind, to agree in the Lord, to have the same mind in the Lord is to have the same aim, the same purpose. And that is modified by in the Lord. In the Lord. Not just to have the same mind, 
which the ESV translates agree, but to do so in the Lord. That is huge. That is crucial. You see, Christian unity is bound up not in our ability to think the same, be the same, act the same, or look the same. Christian unity is bound up in our in-the-Lordness. Coin a phrase. It's bound up in our in-the-Lordness, and that is because of the story of the Bible. The Bible tells a story that we were made, humans were made for community. Right? The Christian view of God is that God exists as one God in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before all of creation, before anything, he was in perfect community with himself. And so we were made in the image of God. We were made for each other. We were made for community. And we see that in the first marriage, right? That, that they are made, and there's this, this harmonious existence that happens there, which if you're married, you know isn't like all the time, most of the time. Like, two sinners married to each other makes things different, which is what we also see in the Bible. Because as soon as sin entered the world, all of that fractured. The very first thing that we see that man and woman do in the garden is they hide from each other. Right? Before that, naked and unashamed. After that, fig leaf loincloth. Not comfortable, wouldn't recommend it. Right? So, they're... they're and, but they're hiding from each other. And then they hide from the Lord when he comes walking in the cool of the day. We see it there, and then we see it through the rest of the story of the Bible. And that is because when sin entered the world, the scriptures teach us that we lost what tied us together. See, we were made for God. We were made to find our identity in him, in the Lord. But when sin entered the world... The problem is, is that we became by nature, not by nurture, but by nature, dead set on finding our identity in anything but him. In anything but him. And so that thing that we find our identity in became ultimate to us. So we make our identity our nationality, or our gender, or our race, or our sports team. Right? Or our philosophy, or our political ideology, or our music preferences, or our cultural preferences. We make them those things. That's who I am. And what we end up doing with that is that we base our worth on these things. So then what happens is those things, our culture, our preferences, our race, our gender, our nationality, they trump everything else. And when they do, they cause division, unless we are all uniform on that thing that makes us ultimate. You following me? In other words, in this room, my guess would be there's probably, I don't know, at least four or five different political ideologies that we could put in a firm category. There's a spectrum even within those, right? If that's ultimate to us, we will never have unity. Because I can't be, I, I, I can't be one with a, with a, I don't know, a libertarian Christian or a liberal Christian, right? You can't do that. How, how could I do that? We make it ultimate. If your identity is shaped around your particular subculture, then the expression of that subculture, I just mentioned politics, the expression of those political ideas isn't just good, is it? It's right. It's not just good, it's not just preferable, it's right. 
So you begin to judge others based on that culture or based on that political ideology. And, and you come together only when they join in your particular political ideology. And, and, and so what happens is it, it isn't just right, but the fact that we hold to it makes us right and everyone else wrong. But see, we were made to make one thing ultimate in our lives, God. And so Jesus came, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it's one of, other, one of Paul's other letters. He tells us that one of the things that Jesus did is he broke down the dividing wall of hostility between people. Because he made those things that we had made ultimate, marginal. In, in that case that Paul's talking about, he's talking Jew or Gentile. Culturally, whether you're Jewish or not. Which, if you're a Jew, there's only two people in the world. It's Jews and everybody else. He's like, that no longer matters. What matters is you are in the Lord. And that is because when, he, when, when God returns to that ultimate position, it allows everything else to be good, but not God. Christian unity is letting our in-the-Lordness trump everything else. Trump everything else that can divide us. Whether that's culture, race, gender, politics, nationality, everything. It's the most true thing about us. So we can lay down what is also true because of what is most true. With me? Now that's what it is. Let's look at whose job it is. And this text is great for this because first it's an individual call. Look back at this verse. Remember I said I was going to get to the fact that he mentions entreat twice? You wonder why he does that? Why didn't he just say... Look, Euodia, Syntyche, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. You know why that is? Think with me. Because you, you know this. Because you've been in conflicts with people. If I were to come to you and I were to say, um, hey, you two guys, figure this out. If you're in a conflict with that other person, it's because you believe that you are in the right. Which means that if it's going to get worked out, the wrong person has to work it out, right? Not you. You're in the right. So, so why say it twice? Because Paul's like, it don't matter who's right. It doesn't matter who's right. He makes the call to both women. He repeats the verb. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche. Agree in the Lord. Paul gives the call to both. And what this means is that that call is unilateral. It's not based on the other. It's like, you go do this. And if she doesn't, you go do this. Both y'all, do it. Both y'all, get this done. Go be of the same mind. He's saying, I need each of you to remember what is most true of you. That you are in Christ with the other. Both of you. So whose job is Christian unity? It's yours. And it's mine. <laughs> it's all of ours. Right? Paul says in, in, in another place, he says in Romans 12, he says it also, well, we'll, we'll get to this. In, in Romans 12, one of the things he says is that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it is with you, you need to live at peace with everyone. You need to, you need to be the one working that out. His point is that we are all to recognize that what brings us together in the Lord is greater always than that which divides us. Each of us needs to seek to be united, to be of one mind, having the same aim as others. Now notice what I didn't say. What I didn't say is we all have to have the same way to reach that aim. 
right? We don't have to have the same way of expressing that mind. We need instead to remember that what makes us us is the finished work of Jesus. That's what makes us us, okay? So it's individual, but it's also corporate. Look down at verse 3, because Paul says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help them, okay? Here's the thing about community. A community is not simply a collection of individuals. That's not a community. A community uh, at the church is more than that. The church is meant to be unified. And and sometimes we can do that fine on our own, right? Sometimes we're doing just fine. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes we need more than just a reminder from the front. Sometimes we need somebody else to get involved. We need others to speak into our lives and help us. And so Paul is asking here, here he's asking someone, Perhaps it's the church as a whole. Again, scholars don't know. They don't know if he's talking about someone in particular or when he says true companion, he means the the whole of the church. Uh, He's saying get involved in whatever conflict is going on between these two ladies and help them come together around the gospel. Again, he's not, I guarantee you, he knew exactly what Yodi and Syntyche were fighting about. He knew exactly what was causing the disunity between them and he doesn't mention it. Because taking sides is not the point. His point is not going, well, look, Syntyche, everybody knows Yodi is right, so just give up. Nor does he say the other. We see divisions, and what we do as people is we begin to get into camps and begin thinking of right and wrong. Sometimes that's necessary, but listen, listen to me. Most of our divisions, especially in the church, are over preferences preferences. And those preferences have become raised to the level of righteousness. I am right before God because I hold to this, not because of Jesus. I like to do something this way, or I like to see an issue this way, or believe this about economics or politics or whatever, and suddenly it becomes what makes us right. This is what makes me right. This is what makes me valuable. If I'm not right on this, what am I? Right? We can all do this. And it's at these moments when we are blind to that, when it's hard for us to see that this is not the gospel, but a preference that we need somebody else to come into our lives and go, yo, dude, not the gospel. I know, I know what you're saying, and actually I agree with you, but it's not the gospel. That person needs to come in and say, what Jesus did for you, Jesus did for that person too. And it is more central to who you are than any of those other things. So lay them down. Lay them down. Not give them up. Not pretend they don't exist. Just lay them down. So what is Christian unity? It is coming together by laying down what is also true of us because of what is most true of us. And whose job is it? Everybody's. It's everybody's job. Now, How do we get it? It's what it is, and whose job is it? But now how do we get it? And that's the real question, right? Because Christians are the worst at this. And I could bring out a ton to to, to illustrate that point, right? All the petty things we fight about, or the petty things we refuse to engage with one another about. How we felt slighted, or even legitimately wounded, but avoid others, or just polite towards them instead of having actual unity. 
I could mention bigger issues like how we can't seem to be united over differing views of things like baptism, whether God is sovereign, whether we sing hymns or contemporary worship music. Some are even whether, are, are willing to fight over whether or not you should have that in worship, that black box with keys on it. Can you have an instrument? We're going to fight over that. And then we can even go bigger, right? And we can note that 11 a.m., this has often been said, but it needs to be said, that 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in, the, in our corporate national time in history. Christians are not good at unity. So how do we do it? I know this is going to be shocking to everybody, or at least if you've been at Holy Cross for any amount of time. We do it by the gospel. Okay? We do it by the gospel. Look, when we find our identity in something, it becomes our righteousness. If your identity is in being a, uh, you know, a good worker, then your work ethic becomes your righteousness. And if that's ever challenged, your whole identity becomes shattered. And if, if we find our identity in whether or not uh, we're a good friend, the first time we let someone down, we get angry at them for thinking we let them down. Why? Because if we let them down, then we're nothing. If we think our righteousness is in being, um, being a, a, you know, a really moral person, then we begin to uh, hide ourselves from others because we know that we're not. And that other people are going to see that. When we find our identity in something, it becomes our righteousness. It becomes the thing that makes us something, that makes us right. And when others begin to disagree with that, if that's an idea, if that's a cultural preference, if they disagree with that, we get threatened. Because our righteousness is threatened. Our rightness is being threatened. But the problem is, none of those things can make you right. None of them. You aren't right before God because you vote Democrat or Republican. You aren't right before God because you're part of a majority culture or part of minority culture. You're not right with God because you're a capitalist or a socialist. You're not right with God because you're Presbyterian, Baptist, or charismatic. You are right with God because of faith in Christ alone. Alone. He is our rightness. Because he is the only one who was actually right before God. So if you're not joined to him before God, you're not right. Sorry. I don't care how good a Presbyterian you are. If you do not have faith in Christ, you are not right before God. By faith in him, we have his status. And his status is enough. And so when that becomes the case, those other things cease to need to be ultimate, right? Our in-the-lordness must trump other things, which means that Christians do not need a 9-11 moment to be unified. We are unified. We have unity. Our 9-11 moment was when the Son of God was lifted up on a cross to take our sin on Himself and then rose again to bring us new life. We are one in Christ, and that oneness trumps everything. And when it does... I don't have to be threatened by people who don't agree with me on lesser issues. That doesn't mean that everyone is right, nor does it mean that those other things aren't true of us. Further, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't even vigorously debate those things. 
We can vigorously debate them all day long. But it just means that they shouldn't keep us divided such that we can't have the same aim. And our aim is helping people encounter Jesus, know Jesus, and show Jesus. To see God glorified and his kingdom advanced in our city. Unity comes through the gospel. But that's easier said than done. So I want to talk about a practiced habit right now because, uh, let's be honest, that's all theoretical. That sounds all lovey-dovey and great, powerful, amen. But so what? How do we actually practice that? How do we do it? How do we practice unity in a way shaped by the gospel? Here's what I want to say. I'm going to say a few things. First is, it means to be reconciled individually. Okay? Some of us here hold on to the slights that we have experienced, and we hold on to them with a vengeance. Or we, we feel so insecure around someone else that if we could, we would just avoid them completely. Some of you are probably even here this morning thinking of going to a different church because someone you feel insecure about or someone who has slighted you is here and you, you just can't be around them. Right? It's just hard. You're like, I, I'm just going to... Instead of actually confronting the issue, you're like, I'm just... I'm gone. Practicing unity will mean keeping short accounts with others. It's going to mean asking their forgiveness and confronting them on the ways they have sinned against you. And it will mean being open. (laughs) Here's a hard one. It's going to mean also being open to the fact that that slight may not have actually been a slight against you. It may have been a slight against what you value. In which case, it's not that they were slighting you. It was that they were slighting your idols. Which isn't bad. Corporately, it's going to mean holding one another accountable to doing this. Now notice what I didn't say. (laughs) Corporately, it will not mean doing it for them. We're not in middle school. Well, some of you are. That's not my point. It doesn't mean what's called triangulation. Like, uh, you know, I got a problem with John Rude, and so I go to Peter, and I say, hey, can you talk to John? Because he just really made me mad. And And John goes... I didn't make it mad, blah, blah, blah. And then Peter's doing like this back and forth thing. So I've placed all the burden of reconciliation on a third party to whom it's not his job anyway. And now he has to bear the relational weight of whoever's slight that was, right? That's sin. I didn't say to do it for them. I meant holding one another accountable to doing this. So here's what I need you to do this week. <laughs> and if this is you, you know it is. And you're, you're hating what I'm about to say, okay? Because you can feel it coming. Uh, the way you can walk out the gospel this week is by trusting God's view of you and then seeking to be reconciled with that other person. Now, reconciliation does not mean best friends. Again, Paul doesn't care whether or not Yodi and Syntyche go hang out on Friday nights. They need to agree in the Lord. Can they work together for the same aim? It does mean dealing with that thing that's stuck in your craw as best you can, as far as it is with you. Okay? So first, it involves, meaning, it involves being reconciled individually. Second, it involves being willing to understand. I said above, that, like before, that we tend to, what happens is we tend to feel threatened by those who disagree with us because those things that we believe have become our rightness. Uh, we, we tend to feel threatened by those who are different than us. 
because our, our rightness is too wrapped up in something other than Jesus. So, if, however, the gospel is what is influencing us, we can actually seek to understand where someone is coming from instead of just constantly seeking to argue with them. So here's another thing I would encourage you to. If that's you, if you're like, that's where I'm at generally, I just have a hard time, I can't just listen to someone. If I don't agree with them, i got to fight with them. Listen, here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to this week. Find someone who looks at issues or life differently than you. And is a Christian, okay? And just sit at their feet and learn. I don't mean literally. I mean, if you want to, great. That's going to make them really uncomfortable. But what I mean is like, just go to them and say, hey, help me understand how you see this. And then just ask lots of questions. You don't have to fight them. And when you start to feel threatened, take that to the cross and say, God, I'm putting my rightness in my ideas and not in you. Because if they disagree with you, it says nothing about you. Okay? So that's two. Thirdly, it's going to involve being willing to love. Disunity is always so much easier when it involves ideas. But so much harder when it involves a person. Right? Paul uses a phrase in both his letter to the Romans and his letter to the first Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians when dealing with divisions of the church. It goes something like this. By doing this, by dividing up, by, by exercising and, and using your rights to, for yourself, he says, you are destroying the brother for whom Christ died. Look, I like a good debate. I love it. It's awesome. It feels good to pigeonhole an opponent. It feels great to paint them with a really bad-looking brush. It feels great to assassinate people on social media. But practicing unity will mean looking at those Christians we don't agree with and seeing them as those that Christ died for. They are lovely, not because their ideas are lovely. They are lovely because God loved them. The same reason you are lovely. One last thing. Obviously, because some of you are arguing with me right now. He's like, come on, Rick. It's not, come on, there are some things. And you're right, there are some things. There are some things that create too vast a gulf for Christian unity. Those things are those things that move you out of the realm of being Christian. Okay? Those are things like, uh, like, uh, w- like believing the gospel, ideas about Jesus, about God, the authority of the Bible. What they are not is cultural peccadilloes or policy decisions. Okay? And that is because coming together by laying down what is also true of us because of what's most true of us is what unity is. Now, if it, what's most true of us isn't what's most true of them, then clearly there can be no unity. But for most of us, that's not the issue. What is most true of us is that we are in Christ, rescued by him, children of God, needy. But those who have had our need met by a God of grace and mercy, a God who has called, called us, us, to follow him in the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, if we're being honest, what we want to think right now is that we're doing just fine with this, but that is a lie. We need you. We need you because we are terrible at this. Holy Cross is no different than any other church in that sense. Lord, we, we may avoid things. We may be polite 
Uh, we may even have times where we lean towards a kind of Christian relativism. But Lord, we, we need your grace to be united. And so we pray that you would do that. You would work that in us so that we might show something different to our world that is tearing itself apart. Create a beautiful community here, Lord, one that is united so that the world may see and know that there is a God, one God over all peoples. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.